All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a privilege for us that you would spend your morning with us. We are in a series. Jesus declared, I am, eight times in the book of John alone. I am. I want to look at John chapter 15 and five verses, verses one to five. Before we do that, I want to pray. Holy Spirit, we long for your presence. Father, if you do not open our hearts and our eyes to see, then we remain blind. We pray that you'd come into this place and for those that are broken and hurting, bring comfort. For those that are hungry, Father, satisfy their hearts with your presence. For your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said this, John 15, verse 1. He said, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus was not introducing a new uh, concept, a new idea to his Jewish audience when he was talking about using the metaphor of the vine and the branches. You see, they, they were well aware that the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was God's vine. Did you know that? It was God's vine, the, 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 the nation, it was through the nation of Israel that God wanted to bless the earth through the nation of Israel and anybody that attached themselves to the nation of Israel, there was blessing that flowed. Do you remember Rahab? She was a, a prostitute and she was in Jericho and when she aligned herself with the intention of God through the nation of Israel, God blessed her. She became the great, 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 great something grandmother of Jesus. And God sent prophets and they were the vine dressers. And they cared for the vine. And they pruned the vine. And they rebuked the vine. But the nation of Israel in its disobedience and its rebellion, it became fruitless. And the father's heart lamented over the tragedy of the nation's deterioration. And they forfeited the privilege of becoming God's vine on the earth. And Jesus steps up in the book of John. And he declares not only that he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection. He is the, the, um, the way and the truth and the life. He said, I am the true vine. You see, Israel was an imperfect type. And Jesus is the reality of the true vine. Okay? 
And he's trying to tell us who he is. He's trying to tell the people who he is. He's trying for the people to understand that in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, he was the one who created man out of dust. And he was the one who breathed into the nostrils of man the spirit of life. He was the one who, was, who brought bread from heaven. He was the rock in the wilderness. In the book of Exodus, when the Israelites were going to Canaan land, he was the rock that, that nourished them, that gave them water. He is the river that flows from the sanctuary in the book of Ezekiel chapter 47. And I love this picture. Because you and I are the trees and he says, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. Get this, every month they will bear fruit. Because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. And it says, and their leaves will be, their fruit will be for food and their leaves will be for healing. That is a picture of you and me. And that is a picture of Jesus flowing into us. And that our lives are, are for food and our leaves are for healing. Everywhere you go, you should look behind you and see a trail, a wake of people whose lives are better because you pass through them. And Jesus knows who he is and he knows he is the water that flows from the sanctuary. That's why when he's at the woman, he meets the woman at the well and he said, listen, mind if I just get me some water from the well in your bucket? And she's humming and hawing and he's going, listen, if you only knew who I am, if you only knew who you would ask me and I would give you, what did he say? Living water. Because he knows who he is. We are made in his image for that living water. To be fed by his presence. To be informed by his words to us. To be nurtured by his grace and renewed by his love. Dancing in the light of his delight of us. That's what we were created for. That's when we become the best version of ourselves. See, Jesus knows that we get hungry. He knows that we get hungry. I mean, you, know, you ate breakfast this morning. You're gonna, your stomach's going to be grumbling within 15 minutes. You eat and then you get hungry, you eat again. And you have relational, we're, 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 we're physical beings, we're relational beings, we're emotional beings, we're sexual beings, we're, 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 we're thinking beings. And we're always hungry, isn't that true? You have good relational connection and it's only a matter of time before you want more. You have great sex and it's only a matter of time before you want more. We are never satisfied, am I right? We're intellectually hungry. We're always looking for more. But it's funny how so often the very things that we use to satisfy our hunger leave us more hungry. Because they're not living water. I, I found this article, a researcher by the name of Rick Nowart. He published his findings that using social networking sites like Facebook...
actually increase your stress levels, produces anxiety, and messes with your sense of self. And he goes on to say, using Facebook might even cause you to develop mental health disorders or exasperating my pre-existing disorder. That's what he's saying. Who doesn't have a mental health disorder in this room? They have found so many mental health disorders that if you, if, if, if you breathe out of your nose, you have a mental health disorder. You see, especially our young people, you know why they go to Facebook? Because they're hungry. They go to Facebook because they're hungry for relational connection. But then they go to Facebook and they find out there's people out there that are prettier than they are. And they find that there are people out there that are more handsomer. And they find out there are people that have more friends than they do. And people that have more exciting lives than they do. Have more fun than they do. And they get depressed. And they feel inadequate. And they get anxious. And they're stressing about something that's actually a lie. Because the version of you that you put on Facebook is not you. That's your best day. We know that. That's your best side. We know that. I brought a branch. I have fruit trees in my backyard, and I forgot them at home. I, I forgot to cut them off today, so I just went out in the field here and pulled this off a tree. You see, I cut it off from the vine. Now, we could pray. We could pray in here for two or three hours that fruit would come. Notice there's a little bit of fruit on here already, but, but all the praying in the world is not going to bring forth any fruit. Am I right? You know, we could actually take this thing to Alpha. And learning everything that it can learn about Jesus isn't going to make fruit on this thing. You can go to church. You can show up here. You, you, you can get busy. You can work in the coffee shop. You can even preach a message. And it's not going to do anything for you. Because this branch was created, was designed. You know what? The branch itself could go... I'm gonna, I'm gonna bear fruit, you know, and it can exert itself, and it's just gonna get stressed out. The only way this branch will ever, ever, ever produce anything fruitful is when it's grafted into the tree that it belongs to. You know what? The same is true for you, the same is true for me. And Jesus is saying, I'm the right tree. I am the true vine. And your only job is to hook up with me, is to abide in me, is to connect me. And the fruit just happens. You, you, the fruit just shows up. It's so simple. But it's so hard, isn't it? It's so simple, but it's so hard. How many of us are way more grafted into our favorite speakers, way more invested in our favorite authors, our favorite communicators, than we are in a living relationship with Jesus that we are part of every single day. How many of us do that? Me? 
I'm embarrassed by, by how often I look to somebody else to tell me something about Jesus. When Jesus is right there, how many times do we, we would rather speak to Moses when, when the great I am is accessible to you? But no, 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 we'd rather. How many of us worship worship more than we worship him? It's easy, but it's hard. Francis Chan made an interesting note. He said that um, all great movements in church history began when an individual really, really, really knew Jesus. And they began to produce fruit. And fruit is attractive. Fruit is so attractive. The people are drawn to the fruitful one. And they're drawn to it. And they're so attracted to the fruitful person that they attach themselves to the fruitful person. And he said, in every movement in history died when people pined for the founder of the movement more than they pined for Jesus. Bill Johnson's an amazing man. But he's not divine. Timothy Keller's smarter than anybody. But he's not divine. T.D. Jakes is probably one of the best preachers I've ever heard, but he is not divine. Richard Rohr is one of my favorites, but he is not divine. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? It's hard to go to Jesus because that requires intention and discipline. It requires commitment. It's hard. In Exodus 33, I love this story. God says to Moses, they're in the middle of the, Israel's left Egypt and they're in the wilderness. And I can't, I don't really know how long they've been. I don't think they've been there for many years, but it's been a rough go. And God finally says to Moses, he said, get up and go to the promised land. He said, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Mennonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and there were no Mennonites at that time. <laughs> and he said, and go up to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. But then this is what God says, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might kill you on the way. That's what it says. That is what it says. It's like raising a junior higher. You know what? You go. Just go. Go with the youth group because if I drive you there, I may kill you. You know? Um, think about Moses. For 40 years, he's wandering around in the wilderness. And he is leading somewhere between 600,000 and 2 million stubborn, insubordinate complainers, doubters, and naysayers. It would literally be like taking 600,000 junior hires to the Middle East on a missions trip. It would, be, it, it would be awful. God's even got a headache over the thing. You know, my wife and I, in, in 2000, Marcy and I uh, led Four Samaritan's Purse, 70 high school students from across the country. 70 high school students from across the country, um, we took uh, for three weeks to Thailand. And we didn't know half of them, okay? 
We'd met them maybe for a day or so. And, um, and so we, we are in charge of this group. And we were in, um, working in orphanages for two weeks. And then we did some sightseeing for the last week. You, you don't want to know, man. You do. Eh. We, 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 their parents say goodbye. And, and they tell us that they're trusting us with their most precious child. And, and they get on a plane. And we have to do a, a transfer in. Vancouver and we're all wearing bright bright orange shirts so that every we, nobody can sneak past us or whatever and honestly some of your kids I don't know how they live this long they are just so clued out we're 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 literally walking to uh, the boarding gate because our our plane is about to take off and on the other side of the plexiglass I see one of our girls walking back into Vancouver <laughs> Which means that my wife or I have to go in the same direction, go through security again, and probably miss the flight. And that was just the beginning of it. <laughs> we get to Thailand, and the, 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 the people there say, okay, there are some rules here. Everybody has to abide by this rule. Don't go into the deep grass. There are snakes there. There are poisonous snakes in the deep grass. There are cobras in the deep grass. We finished lunch. And where do our kids go? Play football in the deep grass. Idiots. We took 300 orphans. I don't know what we were thinking. We took 300 orphans, 70 Canadian high school kids uh, to Jompion Beach where we did this camp for them. And the, 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 one of the locals there says, the first thing you got to know. These kids can eat from the vendors, the chicken or rat or whatever this is, some form of meat that they are cooking. At the, the, they can eat them. You can't. You'll get very sick. <laughs> He's not finished the announcement. I see one of our kids at the vendor trying to buy chicken to see if it really works, if this will really make you sick. Un it was like herding fish. It was just terrible. And I don't think Israel's any easier. I really don't. But at the end of the day, you know what's bad when God says, I'm not going with you because if I do, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I never even read that verse before, but it's what it says. But at the end of the day, let me bring it back. Okay, God is saying to Moses, I'm going to give you everything you've ever wanted. I'm sending an angel. It is going to clear a path. The, 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 the promised land is yours. It's a fertile land. It is a land that is rich with resources. And milk and honey will flow. And it's the land that I promised to you. And it's the land that you promised to them. And it's all yours. There you are. Go get it. Well done. And you know what Moses says? Moses says, if you don't go, I don't go. If you are staying here, then I am staying here. Because I don't care about the promised land. You see, Moses had become a friend of God. They talked as a man would talk to another man. They became friends. If you're not going, I'm not going. Because I want your presence. Because you're the vine. Doesn't that sound a lot like what David said in Psalm 27? He said, I've asked the Lord for one thing. And this is the one thing that I've desired, 
to dwell in your presence all the days of my life and to gaze at the splendor of the Lord and contemplate in the temple. You see, it's true that you are fashioned by the thing you love the most. Whatever delights you the most directs you the most, okay? And Moses said, I want you, God. And David said, I want you, God. You know, the Apostle Paul shows us when you make Christ your delight, he produces something through your life, and this is what it looks like. He produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. You know, the interesting thing about that list is that we rattle it off with such familiarity we don't realize the power in any one of these fruits. See, fruits are different than gifts. Gifts are something that you do. But fruit is what you are becoming. See, you can have a gift and be a narcissistic prude. Your gift doesn't make you a better person. It's your fruit that makes you a great person. You, you should constantly be growing. I should be growing in kindness. I should be going in, growing in patience because that makes me a better version of me. If there is not joy in my life, there should be more joy in my life than there was yesterday. But the only way you get this stuff is by you attach yourself to the true vine. I want to talk about one and then I'm done. One fruit. It's the fruit of peace. Um, and the reason I picked this one is because is because my family has been going through a, a very difficult crisis for the last four months. And I've had to learn to find peace when the wheels come off your wagon. I've had to learn to find peace when people that you love are hurting a lot. And it's there. You take a person, you connect them to Jesus, and then you send them into the world where they experience the same heartache, the same challenges, the same disappointments as everybody else. In fact, maybe even more. And yet somehow they can walk through that with a quiet, confident heart. A quiet heart in chaotic circumstances is spiritual fruit. All right? Think about this. The Apostle Paul, he was beaten, and that would hurt. Like When we talk about beaten, we talk about like, like he get caned okay, and whipped. And his body is throbbing and his circumstances are painful. And then he gets thrown into prison. And everything about that situation demands that you should freak out. You should be in shock and trauma and your body should be vibrating. You're so disoriented. But somehow his heart was quiet. In fact, it was so quiet that he could give his attention to the jailer. He was so quiet that he asked the jailer, how you doing? The guy just beat him. How you doing? How's the wife? How's the kids? And he listened to the man and he attended to the man 
So much so that he introduced Jesus to the man. And then he goes and he introduces Jesus to his whole family. He went to Rome. He was imprisoned and he was in prison and, and, and his whole heart should have been all over the place because it didn't look like he was getting out. But his heart was so quiet. What did he go and do? He wrote most of the New Testament. Do you see how powerful peace of Christ is in you because in the world you will have tribulation. There's one thing I've learned growing older is that life hurts. It takes a chunk out of you. But your circumstances shouldn't define your peace. Not as a child of God. You see, Satan doesn't want your stuff. It's just stuff. He doesn't care about your position. He doesn't care about your promotion. He doesn't care about your reputation. Satan wants your peace. And if your peace dwells in your stuff, then he'll come for your stuff to get your peace. And if your peace is in your name, your good name, your reputation, then he'll come for your name because he doesn't care about your name. He cares about your peace. Jesus said this. He said, my peace. Oh, you know what I think is interesting about that is that most of us think when our stuff gets back, when our, you know, when our, when our relations come back and our stuff comes back, that we had the victory. It was never about your stuff in the first place. It was always about your peace. And you know you got victories when you refuse to give up your relationship with Jesus and take your eyes off of Jesus. And you know you got a victory when you held on to him in the middle of all of that chaos. That's how you know you got a victory. Jesus said this, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it. Do I give it to you? I've got a crazy, stupid version for this. Okay, my peace I give to you, not as the world do I give it to you. He said, let your heart, let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The difference between Christ's peace and your peace is what it is born in. If your peace is born in your circumstances, then it is completely relative to your circumstances. And anybody can have that peace. If your peace is born and your confidence in your own capacity, then when your life's, when you stop being able to pull it off, then your peace goes out the window. And anybody can have that kind of peace. But there's a place in your spirit where you go, I am, my peace is rooted in one thing. It is rooted in the one who said he'd never leave me nor forsake me, no matter what. My peace is rooted in one who is at the beginning and who is at the end. One who doesn't change for all eternity. My, my peace is rooted in one who is bigger than my situation, bigger than my circumstance. His peace leads us beside still waters on the inside when our lives are in the valley of the shadow of death on the outside. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. See, there's a, there's a place in your spirit that you cannot give to your circumstances. There's a place in your spirit that you cannot give to your fear. There's a place in your spirit that, 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 that you, you lock onto Christ and you hold on to him. And in the middle of all the schmutz, in the middle of all the pain that our family has been through, we, my wife and I, we have locked onto Jesus and we know, we know 
that we'll get through this. We know our kids will get through this. We know our grandkids will get through this. We know that he will because he's faithful. And that's what we hold on to. Tell you one more story and then I'm done. You see, your peace is your gold. Your joy is your gold. This fruit that you're growing in your life, this fruit is for people. It's for them to enjoy. And you, 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 you take your peace in, in, into this world and they will eat your fruit. And your leaves are for healing and your fruit, fruit is fruit. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's for them. So, I was a brat when I was growing up. I, I, I just was, okay? And um, it didn't matter if it was Sunday school. It didn't matter if it was, uh, it didn't matter if it was school. My, my poor teachers, honestly, I was the brat that they would tell their spouses about when they got home. And in and, and, and Sunday school, they just had no patience. You'd think, they, they, you know, there's Jesus there, and they, they had no patience, and so they go get my dad, and he'd have to tune me up. And then I then, and I go back in there and looking for who betrayed me in there. And, <laughs> and it's usually a teacher, and so their lives are in for another ride. Oh. <laughs> I, I was about ten years old, and Dad dro- drove the car up to the to the church, and my mom got out, and my brother, and my two sisters got out, and he says, "Ed, you stay here." And he drives to the farthest part in the parking lot. And it was a beautiful day. I do remember that. And, and, and I get out of the car, and he gets into my face. He said, today, you're going to be good, right? Today, they're not dragging me out of my class because you've been misbehaving in your class, right? I said, Dad, I feel good today. I got this one. I'm pretty <laughs> sure we, 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 we'll, we'll have a good morning. I just don't. I, he goes, no, you will have a good morning. He said, now, come here. And then my dad would give me a hug. And my dad's a good hugger. And he would hold his face right beside my face. He never ever said, I love you. That just wasn't part of his vocabulary. But he said, now go. And I I go to my class and I'm sitting down and I'm just concentrating so hard. I'm being good. I'm just, I'm kind of zoned out a little. I'm trying so hard to color inside the lines and be good and not talk. And that's so hard. And um, when the guy beside me goes, "You, you, you smell great. I said, what? I'm 10, I stink. You know what? (laughs) He said, no, you smell amazing. And then I realized I got my dad's aqua velva on me. (laughs) See, my dad, he's a painter. And he put on aqua velva liberally every morning. But on Sunday, he double dipped. <laughs> and and, and, and I'm, I'm sure we had a 45-gallon barrel of the stuff behind the garage somewhere because he, he would just, oh, yeah, you know. Oh, that's, I can't believe that. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> that's homiletics 101. Turn your phone off. <laughs> And okay, where was it? Okay, so nobody's, so, so, nobody's perfect. And so I I I I realized something that you know what I, I when I was with my dad and I was in his presence and he was holding my face and I was I was there. You see, you see, um, I, I got his fragrance on me. And then I walk into my Sunday school class and I smell like my dad. 
You see, when you abide in Jesus, when you abide in the Father, not when you abide in Bill Johnson or you abide in all your favorite, it's not what it says. When you abide in the vine, you'll end up smelling like him. And then you'll end up sounding like him. And then you'll end up walking like him. And something amazing happens when, when, when you abide in him. He, he, he pulls his spirit through your essence. And you look like nobody else in the world, but you smell fantastic. Because fruit is beautiful and fruit is attractive. And I promise you, you walk into every room you, 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 you live in and is part of your life and you shift the room because you smell so darn good. You shift the room. And you should shift the room. And I don't, you, you know what? Most of us in this place work in a secular environment. And if we don't change the environment, then we're doing something wrong. Then we, and we got to find the vine and connect to it. Let's pray. Yeah. Jesus said, by this my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit. In this place this morning... Um, how many of you would say, you know what, I, because I had to do it this week. I had to, I realized that I had substituted the true vine for a lot of other vines. And I, man, this series is killing me because I'm just repenting all the time because I'm, but how many of you today, this morning would say, you know what, I, I need to go back to the true source I need to go back to the living water. I need to find a way and create enough, create enough margin in my day to say, Jesus, this is your time. This is where you and me spend time together. This is where, where, where I find what your words are to me and I find your presence to me and I, and I drink of your grace and your forgiveness and your goodness and your life because that's living. How many would say, I missed it, but I'm getting back on. I've missed it, but I'm getting back on. I know where I, from whence my, my strength comes. I missed it, but I'm going back to the vine. So I'm going to pray for you. And if you really, our ministry team are going to come up after we finish this, well, actually probably during the song, but when the song's done, you need someone to agree with you and stand with you, and pray with you. I want to encourage you just, to, everybody's going to go that way. You come this way and you'll let them minister to you. So Father, we bless you and Father it's so simple but it's so hard for us Jesus we come back to you we just we just come back to you and Father we we, we, we need give us grace to have courage and intention and strength and commitment to hold on to you no matter what. And for those, and some of you in this room, you know more pain and more heartache than I've ever experienced. And Jesus is right there going, I can give you peace even in the middle of this. And some of you, your finances are killing you. And the stress of that is killing you. Well, the more you look at it, the more it's going to stress you out. And so I say, look to him. It feels counterintuitive, but there, he is the living water you're looking for. It will come from him, I promise you. We love you, Jesus.